bless you. Well, I'm going to introduce our speaker. That's my role tonight. Praise the Lord. Uh, Pastor Dwayne Vanderclock, we've known each other for, you know, 20 years, you think? Rhonda, do you know how long it's been? Probably about 20 years. And uh, Pastor is a wonderful church over in Granville, Michigan, uh, Resurrection Life Church. And uh, uh, for years, he had, uh, headed up the uh, network of churches, fellowship of churches. We call it a Resurrection Life International, RLCI, and now it's called Link, and uh, he has stepped away from the daily leading of that. He's still pastoring that church. He's been a friend, a coach, a mentor, an example, all those things to my wife and I. He's been to our church many times, which is awesome, always has a great word. Let's give it up. A great cornerstone welcome to Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok. Wow. It's all right. Move this over. Great to see you guys tonight. And it's always a privilege to get to come here to Highland and uh, see you and, and get to share some of the word. And we always love getting to hang out with Tim and Rhonda. Um, I just want to say that you guys are very blessed. Like we've known them for 20 years and they are the real deal. Totally the real deal. And... Uh, we just consider them friends and uh, we get to do ministry and life together. And it's just wonderful. Um, I want to share tonight, uh, the, above anything else, I, I think that the, the strongest gift on my life is as a teacher. So I intend to kind of give a message tonight. And I'm just going to call this Things of the Spirit. And more than anything else, I'm probably going to tell stories because this is what I found out. I've been doing this. Bobby, we will have been doing, Bobby and I graduated from Bible college together and it'll be 46 years next month. Yeah. And, uh, Bobby, great friend. And, uh, what I've noticed over 46 years of doing this is people forget what you say, but they remember your stories. And they apply those stories to their life. So here we go. Things of the Spirit. Kind of want to start talking about being led by the Spirit. And one of the things that's always important to remember is the Word of God is inspired or breathed from the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God will never counterdict the Word of God. So we need to know the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need to know both. But the one will never contradict the other. So the Word will not contradict the Spirit, and the Spirit will never contradict the Word. Now you say, well, what does that mean? That sounds kind of heady. Well, let me tell you a little story. Uh, this, is, this is probably uh, 14 years ago. After a service, we, were do, we do multiple services like you guys, and I always hang out. And uh, a couple comes up and they said, I, I thought they were a couple, a man and a woman. And they said, we want you to pray for us. And I said, well, what about? And they said, well, it's unspoken. When I said, what do you mean it's unspoken? They said, we don't want to tell you. <laughs> well, it says, it says that if, if this is going to be an unspoken request, it's going to be an unspoken prayer. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I want to know what is it, you know, I'm supposed to be praying about. Well, they said, well, this is what we want you to pray about. This is, we want to know if it's God's will for him to divorce his wife and marry me and for me to divorce my husband and marry him. Now, this happened on the west side of the state. This would never happen on the east side of the state, right? Nobody's that crazy over here, right? And they said, will you pray? And I said, no, I will not pray. They said, well, how will we know the will of God? I said, God says he hates divorce. He is not going to tell you one thing in his word and then tell you something else by his spirit. God is not schizophrenic. Right? He is consistent. Right? So, so we need to know the word of God because the number one way that God's going to lead us is through his word. Right? And then the second way he's going to lead us is by his spirit. And the two will never ever contradict each other, right? So one of the things, in, in fact, if, if Jeannie, my, wave everybody, honey. Okay. Je Jeannie and I, we, we have been married for 40, 
seven years. Going to be. Right? Yeah, it's going to be 47 years. Wonderful years. It seemed like five, you know. So, if we look back at those 47 years, 46 of those years in ministry, the number one way that God led us apart from the word, right, is through desire. Now, in Psalms, it says this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Most people read that and think about a new car, a new dress, a new house, a vacation. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about God putting a desire inside you to do something. In Acts chapter 7 in verse 23, it says, when Moses was a full 40 years old, it came into the heart of Moses to visit the children of Israel. It came into the heart of Moses. Now, I want to ask you, who put it there? God put it there. God put the desire in his heart to do something that was God's will. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, uh, my favorite translation of this verse is the translator's New Testament. This is what it says. It says, for God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. Get that? God is at work in who? In you. And he inspires you to want what pleases him. Um, when Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college, we went to Mexico as missionaries. Uh, we spent the first two years starting our first church. I get a phone call from a friend in Mexico City. His name is Javier Gomez Rubio. And Javier says to me, he says, I'm going out in the mountains he says, he says, there's no roads, there's nothing. He says, I'm going out in the mountains, and I'm going to go preach to a bunch of mountain men. He says, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Wouldn't you like to come? And so I said, sure, sounds like fun. Okay, so we go to Mexico City, and where he lives, and Jeannie stays there with his wife Darlene, and he and I go out to a village. They get us up about 2 o'clock in the morning, throw us in the back of a little CJ5 Jeep, drive two hours down a paved road. Then we get off the road and go four hours down a dirt road. Now, a dirt road there is any place that a bulldozer ever went and made it back. That is the definition of a dirt road. When the dirt road ends, right, there's some guys waiting for us. And uh, they've got some mules. Now, I didn't even know what a mule was until then. Some of you don't even know. A mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse. Every one of them's neutered. They're, they cannot reproduce by nature. But a horse is large and can carry a good-sized burden. But they're not sure-footed. A donkey, on the other hand, can't carry near as much. But they never fall. They are the most sure-footed beasts. So they cross the two, and they get a larger animal that is sure-footed, just like the donkey. In these mountains, there's places where it's a 100-foot straight-down drop-off, and you're on a trail like this. So you want, a, you want a good animal. So they put us on mules. Now, unfortunately, uh, I got the pygmy mule. <laughs> now, now, this is, I, I'm not kidding you. For the next 12 hours, we are riding mules. Up the mountain, down the mountain, cross the river, up the mountain, down the mountain, cross the river. And I'm on this mule, and I'm riding like this <laughs> for 12 hours. And, I mean, literally, I, I consider myself kind of like, you know, a little bit macho. And I was actually starting to cry. I mean, I was hurting so bad. All right. And there would be intendations in spots in the trail. There was an indentation. And I would literally go like this. I'd walk and the mule's underneath me. Anything. I mean, this was a pygmy mule, right? We finally get to this village. It's at the end of the world, right, called Buena Vista. Good view. You're up on the top of this mountain and you can see for miles, all right? But it's, it's all just jungle out there. And there is no electricity. There is no running water. We get there. I need to find a restroom. So I said, he said, where's the bathroom? Donde está el baño? And this is what they said to me. Al monte. <laughs> you speak Spanish. You 
They said, the mountain. Just anywhere in the mountain. Well, I'd go out into the mountain. And I am attacked by a semi-savage pig that weighs about 500 pounds who can't wait for me to finish my business. And, and let me just tell you what I, I freaked out. I am freaking, I am having culture shock. And I go back and I grab my friend Javier. It's 100 degrees. This place reeks like a sewer. Right? Again, no bathroom, no running water, no electricity. The houses, they're literally, they're just sticks. They're not even mud. They're sticks with a thatched roof. And I'm looking around and I'm like, I do not belong here. And these are not my people. And I went over and I grabbed Javier and I literally grabbed him by his shirt and I, I, I shook him and I said, Javier, I said, why did you bring me here? I said, this is not my ministry. I said, I belong in a city with electricity and bathrooms. And I said, we need to leave and we need to leave now. And he looked at me and he says, we can't. And I said, why? He says, number one. He says, we do not know the way. (laughs) And number two, he said, we do not have transportation. And number three, we have promised them we will be here for three days. I, 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 I mean, I'm like, I'm just freaking out. Well, sure enough, half hour passes, they take us to church and we have a two hour service. And by the way, we've, we've brought a, a generator, some lights, some gasoline, and a movie projector. And at night, we would start at about 6.30, and we'd show a movie and, and preach, show a movie and preach, show a movie and preach, show a movie and preach until midnight. Every morning we have a service, every afternoon we have a service, every night we do the show a movie and preach. And people are coming on foot, walking up to six hours to get there. And when we're not in the church building, they are taking us from hut to hut to hut. And we're praying for people. Three days later, we're leaving. And I remember climbing up on a normal mule. And I'm starting to cry. And uh, the reason I'm crying is not because I'm so glad to leave. In fact, God has put in my heart to leave the city that we're living in of three and a half million people and move to a village so we can minister to these people. I get back to Mexico City and I tell Jeannie, and she says, God already told me. He says, let's go, move. 30 days later, we're living in a village. Now, there was nothing in the natural to make me want to move to that village. But God himself is at work in you. And he inspires you to want what pleases him. And then the rest of the verse says, and to work for them. So often, God is putting desires inside of our hearts. And we're just thinking, that's just me. That's just me. I remember a young guy, he had gotten saved in our church. And he's been saved for about a year. And he comes to me and he says, Pastor, he says, I just really want to pray for sick people. He says, but I think that's just me. And I said, well, how many sick people did you want to pray for before you were a Christian? (laughs) And he's like, I didn't want to get near anybody that was sick before I was a Christian. I said, you see, that's not you. That's God who's put that inside of you. God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want the things that please him. About... uh, a year ago, maybe a little bit more, I get a phone call from a pastor that pastors about 20 miles away. And uh, he says to me, he says, hey, he said, we're, we're getting a group together and we're going to go see Matt McPherson. Now, for those of you who don't know, Matt McPherson is the guy that invented Matthew's bows and McPherson guitars. All right. He says, we're going to leave. We're taking a private jet. He said, we're going to leave in the morning from Sparta, Michigan, fly to Wisconsin, to Sparta, Wisconsin. They're going to pick us up, take us, and we're going to get to spend eight hours 
with Matt McPherson. And I said, private jet, I'm in. Why not? This will be new. This will be different. This will be fun. So we get there and take off in the jet. 45 minutes later, we land over on, in Wisconsin. They pick us up. They take us to see Matt McPherson. And uh, he's sitting in his conference room and we kind of introduce ourselves. And, and uh, somebody said, well, well, tell us your story, he says. And, and uh, so he tells us his story. He says, I, I was really struggling. And uh, he said, I was going through my, my factory and he says, the Lord kind of just, I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, I've got the answer to every problem that any person will ever have. And if they'll ask me, I'll help them. So Matt says, well, I need help. God, I need help. This bow thing. He said, I, it's just not working out for me. So he prays, doesn't think much of it. I, I think it's really Interesting that Jesus said that he will show you things to come. Do you know how many of you realize the Holy Spirit can show you supernatural things? So Matt says about two weeks later, he wakes up in the morning and he says, and there's a sheet hanging from the ceiling and going down to the floor. And on that sheet, there is the weirdest looking bow he has ever seen. It's a bow and arrow with parallel limbs. And his wife looks at him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm not sure, but I think I'm having a vision. And God shows him most bales back 20 years ago were kind of straight like that, just a little curve in them. But God showed him a bow with parallel limbs. Some of you know that how many of you shoot a Matthews bow in here besides my wife and myself? You may not know the rest of the story, but his bows became the best-selling bows in the world and the fastest bows in the world and the smoothest bows in the world because God gave him an idea, showed him a vision in his bedroom because he asked him and said, help me, God. I don't know what your problem is, but God's got help for you. He's got, he's got the answer for every problem that any person will ever face. And so often we're just trying to go out there and do everything on our own. Now, this is going to shock you, but the very first time that anyone is ever filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he said, when I leave, I'm going to send him. He says, he's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. He's the intercessor. He's our counselor, our strengthener, our standby. He says, you know, if I don't leave, I won't be able to send him. He says, it's better for you that I leave because I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the standby. So in Exodus chapter 31 in verse one, the Lord speaks to Moses and said, now I've called Belzeel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship. Did you get that? The first person who's ever filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible is filled with the Holy Spirit to work. As a craftsman, God fills him with the Holy Spirit. And so often we think God is just like interested in spiritual things. If it's not spiritual, God's not in it. But the truth is, everything that has to do with our life, God wants to be involved in it. And he will fill us with his spirit and equip us supernaturally with his spirit to do the work that we do. It doesn't just need to be some super spiritual thing. Now, Romans 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God is just impressing you. I I remember when I, I was first saved. I'd been saved for three months, right? And, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible and, 
and I'm praying and, and I'm just seeking God, not about anything in particular. And uh, I just get this impression. Now, I'm 20 years old when I get saved, right? But when I was 10, I rode my bike into downtown Granville. And we had back then what was called a five and 10 store. I remember that. You know, now they're dollar stores. That's inflation. Used to be five and 10. All right. And it was a five and 10 pro store. And I'd gone in there and I had stolen a little matchbox car, a couple of darts, and I stole a little knife about that big. All right. Now it's 10 years have passed. I'm now 20. And as I'm praying, I just get this feeling like you need to go confess to Mr. Prose and you need to pay him. And I'm like, Satan, I resist you. Because <laughs> that was before I was saved. God couldn't want me to do that. But over the next few days, every time I get with, in my Bible and start to pray, I just have this go to Mr. Prose. So I get in my car. 1973 Roadrunner. I drive down to Granville. I park right behind the 5 and 10 Pro store and I pray. And I says, oh God, do not let Mr. Prose be there. (laughs) I go in the store. Cash register's in the back there. There's a lady standing there. And I says, is Mr. Prose here? And uh, she says, oh yeah, yeah, he's right down that aisle. And I thought, well, one prayer didn't work for sure. And I went up to Mr. Prose, and I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. I says, Mr. Prose, I said, uh, a long time ago when I was 10, and I'm 20 now, I says, uh, I came in your store, and I stole some darts. I stole a little knife, and I stole a matchbox car. I said, uh, they were probably worth 20 bucks. I says, but with inflation, here's 40 and I tried to give it to him. And he stepped back. He says, young man. He said, did you just get saved? <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, sir. He says, you're not the first young person who's come in here. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, he, he talks to me about the Lord and about living for God. And, and then I try to give him the money again. He's not just put that in your offering plate wherever you go to church on Sunday. You know? And I walked out of there. And I really did not think about it again. Right? Just a couple months pass. I'm attending Calvin College. Uh, my, my parents want me to stay there and go to Calvin Seminary. But a friend of mine has said, hey, I'm going to go to a Bible college in Texas. And he says, and... Uh, Maybe you should come with me. And when he said that, there was just something on the inside that just jumped. Like, yeah, a Bible college. I don't need to study sociology or trigonometry. I can just get right into the Bible. Oh, yes. You know, and that's what I want to do. So I tell my parents and they said, no, 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 no. You need to stay where you are. And then you can go to seminary there. We don't want you going off to any Bible college. Well, I really want to go to the Bible college. But the Bible says honor your parents, right? And so I'm, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I really want to do this. But the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. And I want to honor my parents. But I don't know what I should do. And I am just, I was so confused. Is there anybody who's ever been confused? All right. I mean, I was like major confused. And I remember, I just get down on my knees at my bed. Laid my Bible out. And I said, God, I am confused. I'm a mess. I don't know what to do. I said, I want to go to this school that's down in Dallas. But my parents tell me I need to go to seminary up here at Calvin. And I don't know what to do. But if you will show me what to do, it doesn't matter what it is. I will do it no matter what it is. Now, I heard a voice exactly like you're listening to me right now. Right? I heard a voice that said, get up and go to Dallas. I literally got out of the room, checked all the other rooms in the house, go outside in front of my house, and look at my house until God's in my house. 
God's in my house. Now, didn't think much about it. I thought, wow, this is God. I should go to Dallas. I went to Dallas. And I was talking to God about it. I said, Lord, that was really cool. Would you like to do that again? All right. And now this is what I felt impressed that the Lord said to me. He said, you were able to hear when I spoke to you because you listened to me when I told you to go and confess to Mr. Prose. You see, the Bible tells us the story of Jesus that God speaks. And some people said it thundered. And some people said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus said, the voice did not come for my benefit. It came for your benefit. But they could not hear because they were hard of hearing spiritually. See, the more we listen to God and obey the Spirit of God, the clearer it's going to be to us when God speaks to us. And, and by the way, um, when that happens, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. If you read in the Old Testament, this is what it will say. And the word of the Lord came unto them saying, right? and to that person, it's audible. Now, the best example of this is probably with Eli and Samuel. Samuel's laying down. He's a young man. In fact, the Bible says that he did not know the Lord by the word of the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And as he's laying down, he hears a voice that says, Samuel, Samuel. He runs over to Eli and said, you called. And Eli said, no, I didn't. Go lay down. He hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. He runs over to Eli. You did call. He said, no, I didn't call. But then he perceives what's happening. He says, next time you hear, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he goes back and God says again, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, to Samuel, it was audible. To Eli, who was close by, he heard nothing. But the word of the Lord came unto him saying. And then it says when Saul came to Samuel, it says that God told Samuel in his ear. Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the tribe of Benjamin. He told him in his ear. He heard it. Now, it doesn't happen every week. doesn't happen every month. may not happen every year. But when we're attuned to it. Now, the Bible says this. It says that God was very angry with Solomon because he had appeared to him twice. And Solomon turned his back on the Lord. So Solomon had two supernatural experiences. But he didn't steward the supernatural experiences that he had. And the result was that his heart turned away from God. You know, when we have whatever the experience, if God heals you, God delivers you, God speaks to you, God blesses you, we need to steward those experiences. Keep those experiences alive on the inside of us. Right? And if we don't, they can become stale and they can become sour. In fact, I know of people that have had supernatural experiences. They told me about them at the time, but now looking back 20 years later, they say, I don't even know if that really happened because they didn't steward the experience that God gave them. And listen, every one of us have God do great things for us, but we have to remember those things, right? Those testimonies. In fact, the, the word testimony in Hebrew in the root, it literally means do again. It means do again. You know, when we begin to, to look at what God's done and we're thankful and we steward what God has done in our life, it causes those types of things to happen again. But again, Solomon, two unbelievable circumstances, situations where God appears to him, right? but yet he turns his back on God. Right? So we need to steward what God does. Um, so there's times when we can just have that inner witness. We just know, right? We just know it. And in Acts chapter 10, I want to talk about leading, excuse me, Acts 16, a leading and hindering of the spirit. Now, when they had gone through a certain region, they came to, to Galata. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. Now, notice what it says. They were forbidden 
by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. Now, those that, when, when God is forbidding, very often it's simply by taking away our peace. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart as an umpire in making all of your decisions. So when you have peace about doing something, you're a believer, you've got peace, you're safe. Peace is your umpire. But if you have no peace and you go ahead and do it, you're going to be out of the will of God. How many of you will just, just kind of like testify like, I, I didn't have peace, I did it, and it went sour? No. Peace is to be our umpire. And sometimes that's how the hindering comes. It's simply through peace. After that, we'd come to Missium. We tried to go to Bithynia and the spirit would not permit them. Would not permit them. In passing through Missium, we came down to Troas. And in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, something I want to point out here is so often people are waiting and waiting and waiting for supernatural guidance. But that's not what Paul and and his group were doing. They were trying to go here, trying to go there. And every time they'd make the false move, God wouldn't permit them. Right? Whether it was circumstances or whether it was taking away their peace, God didn't permit them. And as they're moving, then God gives them direction. I, I really believe that very often being led by the Spirit of God is like riding a bicycle. Right? Once you get it moving, you can steer it. But before it moves, you can't steer it. And when you and I begin to move, if we're not doing what we should be doing, God will steer us where we need to go. I know people are afraid to do something. What if it's the wrong thing? Well, what if it's the right thing? And besides that, if it is the wrong thing, once you start moving, God will get you where you need to be. They were trying to go to three different spots and they weren't the right spots. So God gave them a vision to get them where they needed to go. And so often we're doing nothing waiting for the vision. But you need to begin to move, and when you begin to move, God will get you where you need to go. We're living in Mexico. We were there for seven years. Uh, Towards the end of our time in Mexico, we're living in Guadalajara, Mexico. I'd been teaching in a Bible college, and we had helped a guy by the name of Chuy Olivares, and his wife, Vicky, start a church. We'd been helping him for about six months. Church is growing. There were probably about 400 people in the church. And Chewy and his wife do not have a car. So they either walk or take a bus to get every place that they go. And we're getting ready to leave Mexico. And we have signed a contract with a builder in Grand Rapids to build us a little spec house. Right? When, we get, when we get back, we have got to give him some cash. Right? And that cash is a car. Now, in Mexico, in the early 1980s, cars were gold. In fact, 1982, a new Ford LTD cost $50,000 American in Mexico. And that was expensive back then. I mean, you could, you could buy a really nice car in America for 10 grand, right? So we had bought Jeannie a car and a large part of our net worth was that car, right? And I remember I'm praying again and I'm not praying about that church or anything, but I just get this impression like give Chewy Jeannie's car. And I knew that was the devil because we needed the car. How many of you know there's extra money and there's money that's not extra? All right. This was the down payment on our house. This was it. We'd already signed the contract. This is what we couldn't back out. So I explained that to Jesus. And he did not care. When I would get alone with the Lord and pray, I would just keep on getting... You know, give Chewy the car. And so you say, what did you do? I put it up for sale because I needed the money. 
It wasn't optional money. It was have to have money. So you say, what happened? You would have thought our car had AIDS. (laughs) Because nobody, nobody wanted our car. You say, so what did you do? I dropped a price. What would you do? I need the money. Right? I remember it's a Thursday night. And I go to preach for Chewy. It's about six weeks before we're leaving. And God's been dealing with me for about six weeks. And I, I get there early. And uh, I was praying up front, walking back and forth, praying about the service. And, and I said, Lord, you know, this is, this is the service tonight. At the end of the service, we're going to pray for the sick. And your word says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I pray, Father, for the anointing of God in this place tonight. I pray that as we minister to the sick, that the spirit of God shows up strong, Lord, and that people are healed, people are delivered, that cancers wither up and die. And I'm praying. You know, but when you pray, how many of you know you need to be quiet and listen? So I prayed and then I, I listened. And as clear as a bell, the impression I got was, and Jeannie's car. So I thought, well, that's not going to work. So, Lord, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. And when we pray for people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay? And then I'm quiet. And it was like, and the car. And I said to, I, I, I can remember right where I was standing. I said, Lord, this is not fair. You have me cornered. I either give the car or this is going to be the worst service either of us have ever been in. And it was just like, you know, give to car. I, 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 finally, I mean, it, it, I, I did not do this with great joy. I just said, okay. I said, after the service, Chewie's going to take me out to eat. Because no matter where you go in the world, Asia, Africa, South America, every place you go, you preach and then you eat. <laughs> right? So he's going to take me out to eat. I know that. And I said, after, we, after the service, when we're going out to eat, I'll tell him. We had a great service. We're walking on the sidewalk to the car. And I said to him, I said, uh, you know the car, Jeannie's car? And he says, yeah, you mean that blue car with those really shiny wheels? And I says, yeah, that car. He, I, he, he says, yeah, that's a really nice car. I said, uh, yeah. I said, uh, when we leave in about five, six weeks, we want to give that car to you and Chewy. You, you, you and your wife, Vicky, excuse me. And, and this is no kidding. There's not an exaggeration at all. He stops. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Gracias, Cristo! Gracias, Cristo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He turns to me. He says, I've known that for about six weeks. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) But the Spirit did not permit them, it says. It's like, I was trying to sell that car. Now, Jeannie will tell you this. As soon as we told Chewy, it was like it was the only car in Guadalajara. Everybody wanted our car. All right. And you say, well, what's the rest of the story? Well, we moved back into this day. I do not know where the money came from, but we got the money. And in 30 months, the house was paid for. Impossible. Impossible, impossible. But sometimes you just need to go with the flow. Now, we talked about peace, and I'm going to finish with this story. All right. It's uh, 1986. And I don't know why I get this desire to go to Russia. Now, Russia's not even open, you know. It's the axis of evil. It's the evil empire, right? I don't know anybody in Russia, but I get this thing, I, I got to go to Russia. I just got to go. And people, I, I, I shared with some people, they said, you're crazy. I had a lady prophesy, I was going to die. She says, you go to Russia, you'll die, you know. Uh, I sat down and talked with my elders, and most of them were in agreement. And one of them said, oh, you should not do that. You're crazy. But I just got this thing on the inside. Go to Russia. Go to Russia. So I get together with a couple of my friends. I said, let's go to Russia. And they said, well, what are we going to do? I don't know, but we should go. 
So we go, we, we go to Helsinki, Finland, take a boat across, start in Estonia, go to Latvia. I remember we check into the hotel. We don't know anybody. So we check in. We say, what should we do? And I said, well, let's go down and look at the city. So we step outside. We are not outside. We're probably outside three minutes. And a guy comes up to us and says, are you Americans? And uh, we said, well, yeah. How do you know? Well, we're the only people smiling in the whole country. (laughs) And uh, we said, yes. He said, well, my boss would like to buy you dinner. We don't have anything else to do. Okay, so let's go. So he takes us to dinner. He's just got, he's six foot six, 380 pounds. And uh, he starts telling us his story. He says, I'm a businessman. He says, my dad was a Pentecostal pastor, was in a gulag in Russia, in Siberia for over 20 years. He says, now, besides a businessman, I have a little church. And we, we spend the, the, some time with him. And he says, tomorrow, he says, uh, I'm going to send my car, pick you up, and you're coming to my city. And we don't have anything else to do. So sure, why not? So the next day, sends his vehicle, picks us up, takes us out to a city. Well, here's what we don't know. His city is right outside Riga, Latvia, about 30 miles. It's called Yolgava. It's a military base with nuclear weapons. And no foreigner has been there since 1945. And he takes us to a restaurant and he just starts, he's just flamboyant. He starts ordering everything, yelling at the waiter, talking to us through the interpreter, yelling. And, and we're like, we're going to jail. Half the people in there are in military uniforms, you know? And then he says to the interpreter, he says, you should preach in our city. And we said, oh yeah, that would be sure wonderful if we could preach in your city. That would, wow, that'd be great. He says, well, let's do it. He pays the bill. We walk across the street, civic auditorium. In 10 minutes, he's rented the civic auditorium. We go down the block. He goes to the newspaper, takes out an ad. Two world-famous American evangelists. (laughs) Still got the article. It's in Russian, but that's what it says. Two world-famous American evangelists will talk about God in the Hall of Culture, the civic auditorium, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And we're like, we're going to jail. (laughs) We're going to jail. So we go back, we fast, we pray. They come and they pick us up. Take us to the civic auditorium. This is, there is not one open seat. People are standing against the walls. The foyer is packed. I'm preaching through an interpreter. Uh Uh-uh. It would be like if you were going to give a class to six-year-olds. I said, now, in the beginning, interpreter, God created the earth. And he made two people, Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden. And I'm telling the story of creation, the story of Jesus. I take about 20 minutes, 20 minutes for the interpreter, 40 minutes. And then I give an invitation to receive Jesus. Everybody puts their hands up. So I knew they didn't understand. Put them down. (laughs) Preach some more. I give another invitation. Everybody. I mean 101%. Everybody puts their hands up. I say, put them down. I start preaching again. Businessman comes over through his interpreter and says, they want to be saved. (laughs) I go, oh, So I lead him in a salvation prayer. And then, uh, you know, Dave Dwell, he's there and he gets up and he starts praying for the sick and somebody comes out of a wheelchair and everything's just just going crazy. All right. So we're walking out of there and we realize communism has died. These people know it doesn't work. And there is a void. There is a vacuum on the inside. And right now, there is an opportunity for God to fill that vacuum before the world, the flesh, and the devil do. And as we're walking out, I I said to the the businessman, to the interpreter, I said, your country is primed for revival. I said, we need to have a Bible college because these people have got messed up doctrine. I mean, messed up. And he says, we could do that. 
And I said, what do you mean we could do that? I said, there hasn't been a new Bible college or seminary in Russia since 1917. He says, oh, we could have one. And I says, are you sure? And we're talking, you know. So I'm on the board of the mission organization in Jacksonville, Florida, largest mission organization, sending organization in the world at the time. I get the president on the phone. I said, next week, you're going to Russia. I'm paying. You're meeting this guy. He flies over, comes back. Long story short, five months later, you remember this, Bobby. Five months later, we've got a Bible school. This guy has rented us a building. We have got classrooms. We've got kitchens. We've dining room. We've got dormitories. We've got everything. All right. We sent 17 families over to Russia. And out of that Bible school, we started a thousand churches. A thousand churches. Now, listen. All that because I just think we ought to go to Russia. I I didn't see a thousand churches. I didn't see a Bible school. I didn't even know why. But just like, man, we've got to go. We just got to do it. God himself is at work in you. That's what the Bible says. And he inspires you to want what pleases him and to work for them. I want you to know that the Christian life should be the most exciting life that anybody can ever live. Because the God of the universe is at work in you. And he wants to use you. You know, we talk about it. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. But you know what the rest of the verse says? According to the power at work in you. It's his power at work in you. And I want to encourage you to listen to the spirit of God. That those things that he puts in our heart, it's not us. It's him. And when, he, when we'll follow the leading of the spirit of God, life is exciting. It's productive. There is purpose. And there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let me pray for you a moment. Father, right now I pray that the word of God that has been sown into these good hearts, Lord, I pray that it'll produce fruit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and work in every heart and every life. Lord, that things that have happened in our past, supernatural things, Lord, I pray that you bring them to our remembrance, that we can steward those things, that we can be thankful, that we can stir up the gift of God that's in us. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Now, if you came with somebody or you feel comfortable doing this, would you take the, the hand of a person that's near you? Again, if you came with them or you feel comfortable, I want you to take their hand. Uh, about 10 days ago, I was reading in the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And it says, the harvest is past and the summer is gone and we are not saved. The harvest is past, the summer is gone and we are not saved. See, so many times we intend to get right with God. We intend to put some addiction, some habit, something aside. But summer comes and summer goes. The fall comes and the fall goes. Spring comes and the spring goes. And we don't have change. We just keep going. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, today, if there is a nudging on the inside of you to get right with God, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. When that nudging is there, When the children of Israel are in Egypt and the plagues have come, there's a plague of frogs. And the Bible says there were frogs in their beds. There were frogs in all of their cooking utensils. Everything they had in the kitchen is full of frogs. And Pharaoh calls for Moses and says, I've sinned against God. And I want you to pray that God take away the frogs. And Moses said, when would you like the frogs to leave? By the way, this is the stupidest verse in the Bible. Pharaoh said, tomorrow. He said, I want to sleep with a frog one more night. 
I want frog in my oatmeal in the morning. You see, the devil will always tell you tomorrow. You can do that later when you're older. There'll, there'll be plenty of time. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you're here today, you're away from God. Or you do not know where you stand with God. Listen, the Bible says this. It says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. And if you don't know where you stand with God, you're not where you should be. And you need to get right with God. You need to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. He said, you must be born again. That means give him all your heart, all your life. He said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. All of your efforts, all of my efforts will never make us right with God. It's only through Jesus. He is the only way. So I'm going to ask every head bowed, if you can take that hand, I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He is my Lord. And I will live for him. Devil, you just lost me. And Jesus, I am yours. Today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're still holding that hand, if you prayed that prayer and you just got right with God, you just came back to God. If that's you, would you squeeze that hand when I say three? One, two, three. Squeeze that hand. Squeeze it. I just got right with God. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. This is my day. Squeeze that hand. Now, if someone just squeezed your hand when I say three, would you please lift it? One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Lift it up. Thank you. I see that hand and 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 a hand over here. Thank you. Thank you. Six different people. Uh, we are so, so proud of you. And here's what we know. That the rest of your life is going to be the best of your life. Because when you follow God and you follow the spirit of God, life is great. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So we're so glad for you. Pastor, would you come on up? Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you and God bless. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. What a great word for us, just sowing it into our hearts. The Holy Spirit. How many appreciated that word? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, let's close worshiping the Lord. Can we do that? Show us your glory. Lift your hands in the presence of the Lord.